News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC, the New Yorkist podcast from the newsroom by and for New Yorkers, the city. I'm Harry Siegel, here with the inimitable, ubiquitous Professor Christina Greer. Hello. Hello there, Harry. Hey, we're going to jump right in with just some of the news from still another jam-packed week in New York. And as we're coming up on a jam-packed first year of Eric Adams, New York. But first, your reminder that... FAQ NYC is brought to you by The City, a nonprofit newsroom that holds New York's powerful to account and shines a light on NYC's undercovered neighborhoods. And from now through the end of the year... Every dollar donated to the city will be doubled thanks to a generous matching donation. To power the city and FAQ NYC's essential local reporting, donate at thecity.nyc slash give. That's thecity.nyc slash give. And the, the more you give, the more news we can cover. And there is so much news. A uh, couple things from this week. This looked to be on Wednesday when Title 42 was going to be lifted. And that with that, the busloads bringing tens of thousands of asylum-seeking migrants to New York from the Texas border would resume. That changed, at least for now, when Justice John Roberts uh, used the shadow docket to abruptly stay a lower court's decision to finally end Title 42 as a arbitrary and capricious policy from the Trump era originally and nominally a public health measure after 19 states controlled by Republicans appealed to the Supreme Court to do that. Adams has said, New York City's costs helping to take care of the migrants who are already here, including more than 20,000 people presently living in shelters and more than 10,000 new students in the city's otherwise shrinking public school system could cost as much as $1 billion this year, um, even without additional new arrivals. And he's been pressing... um, Right now, talking to the editorial board of the New York Post on uh, Wednesday or in print on Wednesday, President Biden and Governor Kathy Hochul, two fellow Democrats, to do more. <laughs> Meantime, Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is trying to arrange what would be an $800 million national pool that could provide some of those resources to New York. Another uh, news, um, an Adams mentee, as he's described him, Brooklyn Bishop Lamar Whitehead, was arrested this week and charged by the SDNY's public corruption unit with two crimes notably not exactly related to public corruption, but to scamming a member of his church. He promised to help buy a house, an older woman, as first reported right here in the city, as well as a second victim in the Bronx. Uh, it has said he is uh, innocent and uh, objected to the press coverage he's received about all this. Adams put out a statement distancing himself, but saying he wouldn't prejudge. Chrissy, it's been a whirlwind of a first year, and the mayor says a fiscal hurricane is coming as the city struggles to fully recover from the pandemic shutdown and brace for whatever other challenges are coming next. So let me ask you about Eric Adams. The question Ed Koch used to ask about himself, how is he doing? I have so many minds. You know, it's only been a year. And as I've said with, you know, Kathy Hochul coming in after Cuomo and keep in mind, Eric Adams is coming in after de Blasio, who was essentially on low-key six-year vacation um, the last 
term and a half, you know, one, I still think time will tell, right? In the overall, I'm not going to make a, a, a blanket assessment. Two, I'm trying not to let this week's news about the defunding of the New York Public Library affect some of my overall analysis of the year. But I'm very upset that the New York Public Library will have decreased funding, not just this year, but over the span of three years, largely because we know kids need a space after school. We know that girls tend to lose their virginity between the hours of 2 and 5 p.m., And if they don't have after-school activities or sports, uh, but especially a place to go, like a library, um, we know that these things happen. Um, And not saying that, you know, we're mammals. I get it. People can't have sex. But you know what I'm saying. Like, underage, (laughs) inappropriate things can happen um, without a place to go and while parents are still at work. Um, So I'm trying not to let that cloud my assessment. I'm also trying not to let my uh, lack of interest in funding and hyperfunding the NYPD, the largest paramilitary organization in the United States. I'm trying not to let that cloud some of my assessment just because, I mean, anyone who listens to this podcast knows that I'm I'm not a huge fan of police. Um, and of course, yes, I get the mail. It's like, well, you've never needed police. We get it. But I don't think that we should put so much money in police. Well, we could put money into resources that would decrease our need for policing. So now, let me answer your question since I've backed into it <laughs> in a very, very long way. I think the proudest I've been is the fact that the mayor has unapologetically said that we will be a city, like a sanctuary city, and we will take in immigrants and migrants who are in need. I think for me, you know, when you look at other governors and, you know, tacitly some other mayors, um, I like the full-throated sort of, we are not just a nation of immigrants, but we're definitely a city of immigrants. We can't sit here with the shadow of the Statue of Liberty and then all of a sudden say we don't want immigrants. Um, Now, how we've processed that and the long-term planning for the number of migrants, I think still needs to be worked out. What are some other things? One, I do like, I do like descriptive representation that he's been pushing uh, to a certain extent. I like the fact that he's like, I got these badass women who were in charge of almost everything. Now, there's a range. (laughs) Some I think are stronger than others. But I like the fact that visually, when the mayor stands up in front of the city, aka the world, he's got an array of really diverse women behind him. And many of them have the chops to back it up. Um, I do think that he, like de Blasio, to give de Blasio full credit, I do think that he, for the most part, there's still some shady characters that I'm like, ugh, get rid of them. But for the most part, I think he has surrounded himself with people who know their particular jobs and are really interested in moving this city forward. Um, There are some other policy things that I'll I'll bring up. I want to give you an opportunity to say some things. But then the last thing I'll say this. Anyone who listens to this podcast knows I, you know, I'm famous for saying, like, I like two things, cities and black people. If you know that I love cities and black people, that explains everything about me. And I, my gut, my Achilles heel, my bones, my intuition, my intellectual academic Dr. Christina Greer brain fundamentally believes that Eric Adams is the same way. How we go about that is a little different sometimes. But I genuinely think that he loves this city. I genuinely think that he loves Black people. 
And that actually is of great concern to me. So how the rubber hits the road is I I think I'm I'm willing to give him a little more time. Um, but I do I do sleep better knowing that this man actually wants this job. I was really concerned actually in the latter parts of the de Blasio era, where it was just like this man doesn't care what happens to us, you know, when he was fighting with Cuomo. I do like the fact that Eric Adams is you know, humbling himself at times with Kathy Hochul because he does recognize that she's the governor. You know, this is a man where we've said he's a cop's cop in a lot of ways, which, you know, rubs me the wrong way. But I do like the fact that he's like, listen, she is in charge. So, like, there's a certain element that he has to fall back and, as a mayor. She's the governor. Um, and I respect that. And then the last piece, before <laughs> sorry, I haven't had my coffee. So I'm just, I'm on ramble mood. But, um, you know, I've brought this up before. During the campaign, the rats. And I think a lot of people are like, oh, you know, he hates the rats, the rats, the rats, the rats. But we got to go back, Harry, to the fact that we don't live in homes or neighborhoods or schools that have like an infestation. And if you've ever read the accounts, I know you have, but like for our listeners, if you've ever read the accounts of people who are living with a rat infestation, it is, not only does it make your skin crawl, that's the least of your worries, it will move you to tears. Like people can't eat, they can't sleep, they can't live, they can't raise their kids. They're worried about everything at all times. I mean, they're literally going to die of stress. And so the fact that he's like taking it seriously for some of the quote unquote least among us, as you know, a pastor would say, I think like I just have respect for that. And, and, and it keeps getting turned into this joke that he's like, we got to fight the rats. And, you know, but it's like, no. Families, like hundreds of thousands of people in New York at one point in time were just tormented. And so I actually, it's not something that affects us, but it's like it affects people that like most New Yorkers don't think about. And I I have to respect that. I'll pause. So big shout out to John Campbell, a Gothamist, who put out a supercut of Adams talking about (laughs) that. It's very amusing. Okay. And Adam's Are we drinking, Harry? You can't say that. <laughs> Sorry. And as you're getting to the coffee, um, look, the, the rats, that was really well put. Like, like this is uh, like a hierarchy of needs. When the rats inside your walls are getting into your apartments, you can't focus on larger things. You don't often, you know, inside an apartment have control. You don't over the rest of the building. And the the circumstance you're in and just the most basic elements of life get messed with and considerably more stressful. And having a mayor who knows something about that, he's talked about having a pet rat as a kid while he was growing up here and about his fear of rats. Um, It it counts for something like a New York mayor who knows this city and who cares. The question, as always with this Eric Adams fella, is what past having colorful press conferences about it? And, you know, actually debuting his better rat trap with the dead rats inside, as he did as borough president, he's going to do about it. Um, a couple of the things to, to note just with what you were going through is there's a lot there. Um, Adams has said New York's a sanctuary city. He's put money into making plans for asylum seekers who haven't even arrived yet. Right. Uh, he's built these herks. He put up those tents that then went down. But now maybe we'll go back up again and in the winter. And that raises questions. But he's not 
ignoring this or saying we're not going to take people in who come. He has tried to separate the new facilities he's building from the city's mostly court-established and very unique uh, right to uh, right to shelter. Um, and just this week, he has been in some ways separating what the city can do for these migrants uh, and asylum seekers with what that's going to mean for the rest of New York. So when pressing for additional funds, he said, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Every service we provide is going to be impacted by the influx of migrants in our city. And that, of course, was before this Roberts hold on the end of Title 42 that, that has everything in limbo again. With the libraries, real quick, like the libraries are the best, most important places. And honestly, it's not the books for the branch libraries. And God bless the books. I'm not trying to be cute here. But this is where kids can go. Sixth graders, seventh graders, eighth graders, in those real complicated years of life when people are changing and their friends are changing at the different rates and everything around you is confusing and disorienting as you're entering the adult world, um, which definitely includes uh, unplanned and sometimes unwise sex and lots of other things that, 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 that can mark the course of a person's life. And bad things happen all over the city. Nothing bad almost ever happens in libraries. And you go to one at 3 p.m. and they're full of uh, they're, they're full of kids. They're full of little kids. Uh, they're full of seventh graders, uh, some high school kids. Like, like, like these are just open, important community places. And when those get cut, and this is part of this broader peg where Adams is saying basically everything needs to get cut because we have uh, these problems coming up. That's a real issue. He also, by the way, wants to cut the council's discretionary funds uh, in half, which is interesting. Um, one last thing with libraries. Library cuts are never popular. Mayors always propose them and sometimes undo them in the course of actually getting through a budget. Um, but I want to point out one number from June, and these have been pretty consistent. Should the NYPD be funded, which is very well funded by all accounts, uh, more, less, or the same? And this is the same survey where 89% of New Yorkers said they wanted more cops on trains. We have them now and announcements about them, and that is expensive as fuck, to use the technical term. This is the third wave of this overtime this year. We have this new mentally ill policy happening in sync with this, and you'll be in a station and see two cops on their phones and someone who seems to be very troubled lying on the ground with their possessions spread out around the corner in the same station. So they get to do these announcements. Now, the NYPD is in this station, but plainly there's there's a disconnect, and the expense of that is massively high. The NYPD was excluded from these cuts. Uh, should the NYPD budget be increased, decreased, or stay the same? 52% increased, 17% decreased. Another 27% stay the same. But that's basically three to one for whatever it takes. Just give them more money. And I understand everyone's instinct for wanting to feel safe when they leave their house, when they take their kids to school, go to work, walk around, whatever. Uh, but this comes at a tremendous cost and and marginal dollars for the NYPD uh, or, you know, like the two billion extra dollars that went into getting the Oculus built um, by, by the World Trade Center. Mar those marginal dollars would be enough to have a seven day a week library system the kids could go to consistently knowing the hours, not having them, you know. Uh, potentially shorten because of these sorts of trims at the edges that matter a lot, just like these school cuts at the start of the school year that were marginal, but came at the end. 
those were exactly the dollars principals thought they could allocate, and then they just suddenly went away. And I think uh, Adams needs to take some care that he's not stripping all these systems we're going to need, and also, by the way, to help those migrants in the course of trying to get the numbers in order. One would think that libraries would actually help migrants. You know, like as we as we know that our our school systems are going to be possibly strained a little bit. I would think instead of putting so much more money on policing, because we know all the data shows that immigrants don't commit crimes as much as locals, why don't we put way more money into libraries so we can have not just, you know, sort of after school ESL programs or books that are bilingual, but a place for kids to actually integrate and be together on a social level, which obviously helps down the road. I don't know. Well, maybe when he comes on, we can ask him, except for the fact, Harry, you're going to have to take me to dinner because I don't think the mayor has contacted us to to come on the show. Uh, Mayor Adams, staffers and others who are listening, come on and have an open conversation with uh, some of this group on air so New Yorkers can hear you. I think that would be a a good thing for you to do, and I'd like to not have to pay to take Chrissy to dinner. So <laughs> this is my budget issue. Because I will not eat for a good two weeks just so I can go there and eat all the things. Do you have any thoughts, Chrissy, on uh, on this whole whitehead business? I, I will just note that this is coming right after the SDNY and its public corruption unit just got smacked around with their Brian Benjamin corruption charges. He's still getting charged with like little cover-up stuff, but uh, all the corruption charges were thrown out. And as the Supreme Court is about to smack them around on a couple of Cuomo-related corruption things, all of which uh, uh, seems... Like potentially, this had been the one aggressive prosecutor in New York going after corrupt politicians, and it seems like the courts are saying, if you don't have you know uh, uh, quids and pros and quos all extensively documented, like uh, I will do this bribe for this thing, it's very hard to make these cases. And it's also sorry. Last thing here, interesting to see the Manhattan prosecutor, and they're, they're famously bigfooters, right? Everything goes through Manhattan, all the dollars through. They can pick their cases, but them going after this Brooklyn guy, who has been in the papers a lot because uh, his church was robbed in the middle of a service, because there was a guy who did a terrible train murder, he was going to turn in directly to Mayor Adams because Instagram influencers then showed up in his church and disrupted things, and he got into it with them and was briefly arrested. Um, and because this woman has the civil suit saying, saying he scammed her. But anyways, this is someone who Adams has known and, and been close with for years, is pointed to as an example of someone who deserves a second chance and has turned his life around. He is now charged obviously not convicted of anything with a scamming of a, a, a parishioner. And it, it does seem like a very odd and colorful case and a striking one for Manhattan prosecutors to go after when Brooklyn ones, either out of, out of whatever reasons, uh, the Brooklyn district attorney, the Brooklyn federal prosecutors in the Eastern district, uh, uh, did not do so. Yeah. Well, you know, Harry, when that story first broke, you know, I was like, mm, something in the buttermilk don't smell right. Um, and I know my biases about prosperity gospel. Like I just, I don't, I don't know my Bible back backwards and forwards, but I did go to enough Catholic schools and Quaker schools to know that there's nothing in the Bible that says, you know, the more money you donate, the closer you are to God. I don't see, I know that there's, I know that that statement's not in the Bible. So I, I, I do have a bias against pastors that, you know, have relatively 
poor or parishioners who have moderate means and they're driving multiple cars and jewels and gold and clothing. Um, So that might be my own bias, but I have it. So the story never sat right with me. Uh, It seemed like he wanted attention. He had, you know, past corruption, uh, what, felonies. I mean, he had gone to prison before. Um, for not and not for you know like listen people get into all types of stuff you know because of class you know there I'm sure there are tons of things we have done that you and I if we are of a different class we could have and would have been under the jail um, and so you know he possibly got swept up in a net except for the fact that he went to prison for corruption and scamming if I'm not correct he he took out loans in other people's names in brief. And then use the money to uh, uh, to buy himself like nice cars and bikes and so forth. So yeah, we're not talking about I got into a fisticuffs on the street and accidentally stabbed a dude. This is like no, no, no. I'm trying to mastermind theft. So when you come back and you're a man of the cloth, and everyone knows that you know in certain communities, you know pastors are held in high esteem. You know folks tithe. I mean it's a it's a very strong uh, religious tithing ethos in the black community. That goes way back. Um, and there's some people who exploit it. And I always felt like he was one of those, you know, fast talking, shady characters. Now, linking this to the mayor, I think my concern for the mayor has been and continues to be there feels like, for my taste, a disproportionate number of shady characters that are in his circle. I don't know if it's inner circle or just circle. And I do love the fact that we have a mayor who's like, listen, I roll with working class people. I roll with, you know, the folks who can pay millions of dollars to keep this city up and running. I roll with anybody. And just because you did something in your past doesn't mean that that's who you are in your present or your future. I respect that. I teach. I agree. Right. We all say, you know, no one should be defined by one incident or two incidents even. But as mayor of New York City, as black mayor of New York City, as only the second black mayor of New York City, I just think that he's got some blind spots with some folks that he doesn't mind being in his circle or even affiliated with, because we know he doesn't get the same birth that de Blasio gets or Giuliani or, you know, forget about Bloomberg because, you know, Bloomberg was a media billionaire. So he doesn't, he won't get second and third chances. And I'm not saying that he's got to be perfect in the Obama politics of respectability, but kind of like, you know, like he doesn't have room for error in the press corps, um, local or national. And the fact that someone like this cat is, is was still kind of too close in his circle, it's just like, Mayor, don't make your life more difficult. I mean, this is this is what I said about the 2 a.m., right? I don't think that he's a shady character, but all it takes is for someone to say, uh, I felt a little uncomfortable. And it's 2 a.m., right? So everyone will, will draw their conclusions, and there we are. The mayor's agenda is done. So I just think it's like, you know you know what game this is. You know what time this is. You don't become a Black man this powerful in New York City without knowing what this is. You don't go through all the various iterations, not just in the NYPD, but in New York City politics, without understanding how these things work. So it's like, don't let your ego get in front of the reality that you know you live as a Black man. And I know that you want to be treated equally like I'm the mayor, but you are also, whether it's spoken or unspoken, the second Black mayor. And that's, that's going to mean a lot to 
to certain people who actually don't want you to succeed. And he's, when he says that, though, it seems like he's, you know, being sour grapes and, you know, just trying to pick on the media. Because sometimes when he says it, it's like, no, they're raising legit questions. Just roll with it. And then other times it's like, yeah, well, they're asking these questions because you are the black mayor. So it's not fair, but it's the reality we live in. And you know this. So speaking of the friends of the mayor, and I think this will be our closing note, but one thing we did not mention up front is uh, council member Eric Botcher. Botcher? Mm. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm sorry, Eric. I'm sorry. There's a lot of you guys and in, in, in the council member. We're going to say Eric Botcher, and you can call in and correct me if that is very wrong. And I apologize. Um, so this is the uh, seat in Manhattan. The Corey Johnson used to be in going back to some stuff we were talking about after Corey Johnson voted for a budget that did not defund the police when that was in the mix. Folks showed up at his house, like went into his building and were doing some some scary stuff who, who were upset that he was pro-cop in effect. Uh, Botcher now represents the district. He was in a library at a drag queen story hour event. Um, he'd been to a bunch of those. At this one, there were really angry people outside and a uh, sort of wild scene. It was all off-putting. The uh, drag queen had to, like, change and like get out at the end i think a lot of people had police escorts out and then people showed up and vandalized his office showed up in his apartment building and we're putting nasty stuff up there two women were arrested and my former colleague tim Timon over at the daily beast uh talked to eric and reported that he said the other eric eric adams you know showed up in person wanted to make sure he was all right is there anything you need or that i can do which in my view is just the, obviously the decent and gracious thing to do, um, but also was, was notable because Adams does have some church-oriented friends who do not like and are not like by, uh, very understandably in my view, the, uh, the the gay community. And it was just in my view very good to see the mayor show up when something happens like that where people cross lines and show up in a personal menacing way where a lawmaker lives to threaten and intimidate them and uh um and 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 obviously around lgbtq issues and with a uh, with the gay lawmaker i was very happy to hear that the mayor you know showed up was there in person and was uh serious about that absolutely harry i mean and so this is this is what complicates eric adams for so many people right on the one hand i'm enraged about the library, you know, I'm mad about NYPD. And then it's just like, he rolls up because I saw the video of the council member's neighbor being assaulted, trying to get into the house by uh, this band of vigilantes. And the mayor is very clear. He's like, I'm in charge and I'm here to protect all New Yorkers and especially people on the council. And he even offered to, you know, to um to get this council member a detail. And the council member declined. But he's like, listen, I have resources. As the mayor, I need to make sure that you're safe and this won't be tolerated. So I think we can also probably expect some sort of statement from the mayor, full-throated statement from the mayor about kind of the future of LGBTQ plus New Yorkers. You know, we've seen statements come from the council, but I this is where it's just like, ah, oh, this makes it so frustrating because it's like, when I say I think he loves New Yorkers, I think he does love all New Yorkers. And even though he probably has a lot of conservative supporters, you know, in today's city and state, 
the kicker, you know, that they put at the very end, he says, my secret sauce is everyday working class families. They're not, they're just not complicated. They just want a safe place to raise their children and families. Those are my folks. So it's like, he knows those are his folks. And he knows that some of his base will not be happy. The fact that he's like, I am standing up, not just because he's a council member, but because this is right. And so it's like, so in that aspect, it's like, I have so much respect for the leader of my city who will say, like, this is not what we're doing. And we've talked about this, you know, all year. Eric Adams is very clear. Like, I'm in charge. So, like, when I'm in charge, people have to follow suit and policy follows suit. It's just frustrating when the policy isn't something I agree with when it comes to, say, like, you know, hyper-policing. But I'm really proud when it is something like this where the mayor is, like, unequivocal about it. Or when it's like, we are a sanctuary city. And so there there will be no discussion about, you know, whether or not we'll turn needy people away, will turn children away. I mean, you know, I, I think in the the caravan or the bus that, that came earlier this week, what was it, like 71 people had to go immediately to the hospital? You there know, I mean... Confusing reports at, about that. So, okay. so, but we know that this has been, these have been difficult trips up. Yeah. Well, and, and I know that there was a suicide. So that, you know, to me... And shout out to Mike Lindsay, who's the new dean of the social work school. And this is his research of, of suicide, and, you know, primarily young black boys. But he, I mean, he looks at people who choose to die by suicide. And I mean, this is, you know, sadly, we know that we're going to have a, a much more complicated way of understanding young people, stressed families. We also have to remember we are still in the midst of COVID, right? The, the fact that the mayor wore a mask this week you know, lets us know that his new health commissioner uh, has been very clear that COVID is still here. It's back. I mean, you know, just to let our listeners in on a few things, Harry and I were in an event, what, two weeks ago, and I I saw the health commissioner. He was the only one with a mask on at this big event. And I said, hey, you're the only one with a mask on in this event. Should I be wearing a mask? And he looked me dead in the eyes through his mask and said, absolutely I'm leaving here in five minutes. And I was like, oh, okay. So just if the if the city health commissioner, who I'm sure, you know, obviously airs on the side of caution, but he was very clear that this is, we're in real times again. Weird times. That's going to be our closing note in some sense for 2022. Next week, the plan is, barring gigantic breaking news, we're going to come at you with a handful of, of off-cycle episodes and longer interviews, and then get back at it when we get to the new year. And while we're still in this old year, there's still time to step up and have your donation doubled. Adam Kamara, engineer extraordinaire, take us out, fill folks in. F-A-Q. This has been FAQ NYC, We're a Part of the City, a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard-hitting reporting that serves the people of New York. Our work is freely available to everyone at thecity.nyc and is supported by listeners and readers like you. From now through the end of the year, every dollar you donate to the city will be doubled, and you can do that by going to thecity.nyc slash give today. That's thecity.nyc slash G-I-V-E. 
We are headquartered at NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty, Policy, and Research, and are a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists, Critics, and Artists, online at popula.com. Our hosts this episode were Christina Greer and Harry Siegel, who's also our executive producer. I'm our engineer, Adam Kimera. Thank you, listener, for joining us and making it this far. Be kind, be cool, and we'll be back soon with more.